Good morning. So I'm a little nervous. <laughs> this is my first time, and what a birthday present this is. Um, you know, mixed feelings of, of nerves, but it's also awesome that I get to preach God's word this morning. So I pray that he uses me to speak clearly through his word. Um, so let's get started. If you don't have a Bible, we have the text on, up on the screen in a little bit. We also have some physical Bibles under the seats. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one. Seriously. We would call it a win if you take it, if you don't have one, because we believe that God's Word has been given to us for the express purpose of knowing Him and to walk with Him. So, for those of you that may not know, my name is Garrett Rockefeller, and I am not just introducing myself to anyone who's new here, but also to my longtime church family. Because you see that hole in the back of the wall there? That's where I call my home and where I'm comfortable. Um, for over 10 years now, I'm not usually in this side of the camera. <laughs> so um, even though Halloween was a month ago, the troll has left the cave to give you a little Christmas sermon. How about that for a nightmare before Christmas? <laughs> so when Stephen asked me if I would like to preach this Advent season, you can bet I was a little bit more than apprehensive. But you know what? Something odd happened. I said yes. If you're new here, we're in the middle of a celebration of Advent. Advent is Latin for a word that means the coming or the arrival and it's distinct from what we often consider to be the Christmas season. Advent is about slowing down, paying closer attention to the massive story about how Jesus came and what he came to do. I have been assigned the task of looking at Luke chapter 1 this morning. So you ready to dive in? All right, let's uh, start in Luke 1 verse 26. Luke chapter 1 Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Luke starts us off here describing the setting. He takes special time to point out that Mary, where Mary was living. He says that Gabriel went to Nazareth, a city of Galilee. Why do you think this is important? If we rewind a little bit, just a few verses before this, we see that Gabriel had visited Zechariah in the city of Jerusalem. If we compare Jerusalem to Nazareth, we move from a huge religious city to a small, insignificant town. Can anyone relate to hailing from a small town? Heck, even if we take Nashua, for example, outside of our southern New Hampshire, all recollection of our city fades away. I remember multiple times telling people while I was in college where I was from, and I would get that dazed and confused look. I can even remember telling people I'm from just New Hampshire, and I still didn't register to them where that was. Sometimes, 
I kind of like to hear people read the name of our city out loud. I like to let them struggle a little bit and see what they come up with before swooping in. You know, Nashua is not exactly a uh, common name. <laughs> Some people pronounce it Nashua or Nashua. They butcher it. But I kind of like to let them wade in a little bit before I help them. But anyways, you get my point. Nazareth was small, smaller than Nashua, and far smaller than Jerusalem was at the time. And do you think God chose this town on purpose? You betcha. Over and over again, we see God use us most unassuming people and places to accomplish his plan. A faithful Jewish man would naturally assume that if God was going to do something big, he would probably do it in Jerusalem. After all, that's where many of the religious leaders in Herod's beautiful temple was there, too. But God's plan had nothing to do with who we are or where we live. God uses whomever or wherever he wills. And in verse 27, Luke tells us that God chose a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, I'm thankful for Stephen for setting me up last week so well to read this. Such an easy transition here to the story in Luke. You know that shoot and stump that Stephen talked about last week? The perfect king who would come in humility and establish his kingdom forever? That guy? Well, here he is. It's time to make his humble entrance. Luke points out that Mary was both a virgin and betrothed to Joseph. When we think of engagements today, we think of a commitment to Mary, but there really is nothing holding us strongly to that commitment. Today, there is always time to change your mind and break the engagement with minimal repercussions. But betrothal in the first century was not like this kind of engagement at all. In the eyes of Rome, the government, Mary and Joseph were legally married. But in the eyes of the Jewish family and friends, they had not come together to consummate the marriage yet. This is why Mary had to travel with Joseph for the census. This is why, later in the story, Joseph considered divorcing Mary before he understood that the baby was really from the Lord. Joseph naturally assumed that Mary had been unfaithful. If and when this happened to other women in that culture, it typically left the woman in a place of destitution. But like he always does, God provided everything that was necessary for Mary to be cared for and provided for. But let's continue. Back in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. <clears throat> and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let's stop there. All right, there's a lot to unpack here. First, Gabriel greets Mary with an amazing greeting. He calls Mary, O favored one. Some look at this verse and try to argue that Mary holds a special place in God's heart because she, she's special, because 
She is more righteous than others. But this isn't true. Mary has been shown favor by the Lord. Do you see the difference? Why is this important? Because it is by grace that God has chosen to use her. Mary didn't earn this position. God placed her in a position of honor. In the same way, we don't own our earn our position with God either. He is good and chooses whom he will. When we try to turn Mary into someone that is more special or more deserving than ourselves, we lose the call to humble obedience that was placed on her life. And we know that Mary sees herself in this way because of what she says next. What would you do if God the Almighty called you, O favored one, Personally, I think Mary had the appropriate response here. The Bible tells us, greatly troubled at the greeting and tried to discern what kind of greeting it was. She was greatly troubled at the greeting. I'm thinking she was like, um, what did he say? What could this possibly mean that I'm highly favored? Surely she's, he's got the wrong girl. She must have been stunned, shocked, scared. How could a girl so insignificant be noticed by God? But before Mary could utter a word, God comforts her. Immediately, the angel tells her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. We'll see that this happens again later on in the passage. God always desires our faith in him and his plans and often gives us the help we need to do so. In this case, Gabriel put Mary's troubles at ease by telling her not to be afraid, even before she could voice her concerns. If we continue in Luke 1, verse 31, we see it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So remember that stump that we were talking about? Here Gabriel clearly outlines Jesus' lineage, saying the Lord God will give him the throne of David throne of his father David, and who will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Not only does this bring us right back to what Stephen preached on last week, but it also fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. If we read that, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and to the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in chapter 16 of Isaiah, verse 5, in love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from David. And one, who's, one who in judging seeks justice and spreads, speeds the cause of righteousness. Then if we go on to Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 13, we see the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, 
and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you in your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now Mary was a godly woman, and it's pretty safe to assume that she would have known the Old Testament scriptures here. The fact that Gabriel brought this lineage and prophecy up was no mistake. Mary knew of what Gabriel was referring to. Considering this, what do you think your response would have been? I can think of some things that would have went through my head. You've got the wrong guy. I think you can have me confused with someone else. Why would you choose me? This is too important for me. But that's not what Mary said at all. If we look in the next verse, Luke chapter 1, verse 34, we see in 34 it says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I think, I think to better understand the impact of Mary's question here, we should go back and read a little of the foretelling of John the Baptist and compare Zachariah's question to Mary. So let, let's go back to Luke 1, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Can you spot the difference here? It's incredibly subtle, but there is a difference. Zechariah is asking for proof that he can trust God. While Mary is simply confused by her circumstances and isn't sure how God will pull it off, Mary's question is centered around faith, while Zechariah's question is centered around unbelief. Do you see the difference? This is what God desires from each and every one of us. God desires us to trust him. We may not understand the hows or whys of what he does, and it's even okay to ask the hows and whys, as long as it's centered around faith that God can, even though we may not get an answer. As a little aside here, Mary kind of makes me think of my kids here. I love my kids, but sometimes those little minds just don't stop. I'm going to say two words that every parent has heard. But why? The but whys. Anyone with kids knows what I'm talking about. The other day, Addie came to me and Lauren asking the question, you know, the question. She asked me, Daddy, how are babies made? I was like, oh boy, you should have seen my face and my wife's face. We looked at each other, looked at Addie, looked at each other, and we were trying to figure out where to go with that. We tried our very best to stay as vague as we could, but the hows kept coming, no matter how vague our answer was or, or how trying to get specific it was. We eventually just stopped and said, not till you're older, honey. My point is to this being that Addie's question was honest questions of curiosity that stem from a trust in her mom and dad, giving her a trustworthy answer. 
She genuinely, genuinely wanted to know something that she didn't understand in the moment. Not only is there nothing wrong with trying to make sense of the wonders of this world, it's a good thing to be curious in the proper season. And Mary had a doozy of a question that stemmed from the same confidence, trust in God's goodness. How will this be since I am a virgin? We don't even need to stop and think about why this question made sense to ask. Mary, like you and I, lives in a world full of natural laws. If we're not careful, we sometimes think these laws operate independently from the power of God. Laws like gravity and laws like when you drop a piece of toast on the ground, it always lands buttered side down. But in actuality, these laws are just the ordinary way that God governs his creation. These laws have no sustaining power apart from the power of God. So Mary is just trying to wrap her head around this. God is both actively holding the universe together with these natural laws, and he has a sole right to work outside of them for his good purpose. He's the creator and king of creation. That means that it's his to play with and do with what he wants. Since Mary's question was based on faith, Gabriel takes the time to try and explain this to her. Because of Mary's faith, God takes time to explain some of the greatest mysteries in the universe to her, the incarnation and the Trinity. In verse 35, we read, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Because of Mary's faith-backed question, she gets the amazing privilege of having the incarnation in the Trinity at least partially explained to her. This particular verse can be a major sticking point for many people. We can be tempted to read into this and pick it apart, trying to fill the gaps with our limited human understanding, but we need to remember to come to the subject with extreme reverence. When God says that the Holy Spirit will come upon her, he did not mean that he impregnated her. Conversely, we can think of coming upon her as similar to how God hovered over the face of the deep in the beginning back in Genesis. God simply created a body of flesh for the Son of God, and he was born of a virgin. I really don't think we need to go into this any further it's important to remember that there will always be mysteries to us because we are not God and we do not fully understand his ways. One of these mysteries happens to be the incarnation. That being said, I think it's very important to explore the Trinity as it, is, as it works here. In verse 35, God clearly outlines the Holy Spirit, God Most High, and the Son of God. Each entity plays an important part here. But is the God 
It is God the Son that takes on flesh in the humility of a baby. Why is this important? Do you think God just thought this would make a cute Christmas story here? Or could it possibly be for something deeper? Because God the Son put on flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus is as at the same time totally different than us and somehow exactly like us. He is fully God and he is fully human. And because he is both fully God and fully man, he is the perfect Savior. Jesus is the one who can perfectly serve as the mediator between God and man. Back in, he- in Hebrews, it says, nine, in 9.14, it says, How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Christ needed to be God to be free from guilt or sin, and he needed to be man in order to supply God the sacrifice we owe. As if this amazing explanation isn't enough, Gabriel goes on to deliver more incredible news to Mary. Gabriel tells her that her relative Elizabeth is going to have a child in her old age. God is actually helping Mary's faith even more by telling her this, by giving her another proof, even when not asked for. And lastly, Gabriel backs everything he said with a haymaker of a sentence. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. For all the questions about, we have about the incarnation, Gabriel aims to silence them with the simple truth that God can do all things that we think are impossible. We often fight against the truth, against that truth, because we fail to trust him. But he is both good and powerful, and the natural things that confine us have never confined him. This is something I need to be reminded of all the time. I mean, even today, my own family and friends are going through some serious health problems that seem impossible to me. But to God, they're nothing. I must constantly remind myself that God is omnipotent and nothing should calm my anxious heart more than dwelling in that. This leads me to the last verse we're studying this morning, verse 38. In 38 it says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We can compare Mary's response here to Zachariah's response earlier. Zachariah's response was drowned in unbelief, while Mary's response was backed by faith. We should use Mary's response as a model of how to respond to God's plan, even when we don't understand it. Mary could have objected. She could have asked more questions. But she raises no further objections and accepts the honor that God bestows on her. But Mary's decision to respond this way had its consequences. Her reputation was at stake. I'm not saying that lightly. This was actually a big deal in those days. She faced the very real potential of public shame. 
She faced the prospect of a broken betrothal, never getting married. This would make her destitute. Forced from her home, she'd be wearing the scarlet letter of her day. Did you know that statistically, when an unfaithful man abandons a woman, she ends up in poverty and their lives are twice as hard? I mean, the consequences Mary faces here are dire. Anybody in her circumstances would wrestle over whether or not to be obedient in this moment. I know that I struggle with lesser opportunities for obedience. But there's always a question that we can come back to, a very important question. Is obedience to God better than anything you might lose? I'll say it again. Is obedience to God better than anything you might lose? And secondly, is a failure to be obedient even more costly? Think about that. We might want to follow our own way, but God knows what's best for us. If God calls you to something, don't you think it might be important? More important than any excuse our human minds can come up with? Mary responds correctly here. Mary responds in faith. Mary tells God, whatever your will is for me, let it be. Mary was not a special saint due to the honor. Mary's not a special saint that is due honor because of her holiness or because she was the mother of Christ Jesus, she is due honor, for example, of obedience. Full stop. She is due honor for the humility of her servant's heart. But our sister Mary would invite you and I to walk in humble obedience right alongside her. As R.C. Sproul puts it, Mary is not divine. She is a sinner saved by grace, just as we are. Oh, but what a gracious sinner she was. So how do we respond this week? I think the proper thing for believers to do is to model Mary's trust and obedience in all aspects of our life. We are his servants. And may we ever remind ourselves that God is all-powerful, and we are not. We are not in control. He is. God is good and powerful, Therefore, he is worthy of our trust and obedience, even when we don't understand his plan, especially when we don't understand his plan. What is God calling you to do in this season that feels too big? What simple act of humble obedience have you been slow to say yes to because you wanted more details spelled out to you first? Curious questions flowing from a heart that trusts him are a good thing. Expecting God to prove himself to you, however, is not. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one more song or more, depending on how fast I preach today, I'm not sure. That's a time for you to put into action whatever God might be stirring in your heart this morning from this morning's text. But what if we're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus? I would urge you to meet the one that this word is all about, Jesus. The Bible teaches us all that by our nature we are separated from God because of our sin. We are owed the just and right 
punishment for sin, which is death. But the Bible also teaches us that even while we are dead in our trespasses and sin, through God's grace, that Jesus makes us alive. How? As we saw in today's story, Jesus put on flesh, came to us as a helpless babe. He lived, in a, he lived a sinless, perfect life and went to the cross intentionally and sacrificially to die for you. But he didn't stay dead. He rose in three days because, of the righteous, because his righteousness was sufficient for you. Jesus conquered sin and death and calls on you to respond to him. Respond to him in repentance and in faith to turn away from your sin and to turn to him as your Savior and Lord. Jesus wants a relationship with you. And if I can be of any help, please let me help that figure out what that response of faith looks like for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I pray that all the words that I spoke this morning can be used to further your kingdom. Lord, thank you for Mary's example of obedience and trust in your word. Lord, if there is anything you're calling on our hearts this morning, throughout the, the weeks, throughout the, the months ahead, help us just to trust and obey. Help us to respond in faith, not in unbelief. Lord, you are amazing. We are not. You are all-powerful. We are not. Sometimes we think we know the right way. But Lord, just remind us that without your sustaining power, this world would fall apart. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to us as a helpless babe. Thank you that he was fully man, fully God, that he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Lord, thank you so much for loving us enough to do that. Help us to place our trust in you all the time. Please bless the rest of this time this morning as we gather in small groups and sing more songs. And as we proceed through this Advent season, help us to always redirect everything to you. Lord, I love you. I'm thankful for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.